Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. After first service, um, I'm sure they don't want me to take a couple of weeks vacation ever again. I told you, I did some thinking and praying while I was by the pool. What I did was um, I would sit up early in the morning and read the Bible, and I was reading First and Second Thessalonians. I was reading it in English and Greek and then reading books, and God started talking to me, and this message, um, well, this message is first on a series from First and Second Thessalonians. Next week, I'm going to reveal to you that I know who the Antichrist is. Well, just trust me. My wife told me, don't say that. <laughs> but, but I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you next week I know who the Antichrist is, okay? Just a little promotion because everybody's always worried about end times and all that kind of stuff. So just so you know, Thessalonians are the books that deal with that. So I have to deal with it. I figured while I was at it, I just might as well give you like special knowledge. <laughs> you guys look skeptical. I guarantee you, I can tell you who the Antichrist is. I guarantee it. Come next week and find out. All right? So uh, we have some cool stuff going on. <laughs> we have some cool stuff going on. Um, I, uh, you know, we, we, uh, with Pastor Mike and Pastor Ashley transitioning, they, the life groups got dropped on me, and I didn't do as good a job as I should because, believe it or not, I have other work to do. Like, um, well, like one of the announcements we'll find out next week, you're going to want to be here for that. But um, I, I've been leading life groups for a bit, and uh, so I didn't do the launch right. We were supposed to launch like two weeks ago, and I didn't do it. But fall life groups are starting right now. If you have not been a part of a life group, Go on, online to the uh, harvestridge.net and go to the life group page, and you can see that there are a bunch of life groups. And this week, we're going to be updating a couple of them, like this one right here. Somebody, it's called Grandma's Matter, and uh, they're going to be doing, uh, like, the first three Tuesdays of each month, getting together as grandmas with maybe grandkids with them and praying for them and stuff. There are going to be life groups like this happening this fall and encourage you. Uh, I know there's a ladies, a different ladies one and a few others that are going to be new. So if you're not involved with a life group yet, I encourage you to go on to our page, harvestridge.net, and sign up for a life group and get ready. Because life groups, we believe that real spiritual maturity happens in circles, not in rows. It happens in circles, not in rows. There's only a certain amount you can grow here. You need to get involved with other people and get to know them. All right. So how do you fix a cracked pumpkin? You use a pumpkin patch. <laughs> Apparently, I snore so loudly that it scares everyone else in the car I'm driving. <laughs> I said for years, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandpa not screaming and yelling like the other three people in this car. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So some by-the-pool thoughts. Um, we, we, live in a, we live in a culture that has spoken to us. It, 
This culture actually is a culture that influences our entire lives. We, uh, if you will, we're like fish swimming in the water, and fish don't even realize that their culture is the water they're in. They're just swimming in the water. If you take a fish out of its water, it's out of its culture, and in, it, then it is greatly impacted. So we, as, as people, 21st century Americans, we swim daily in a culture, and there are certain thoughts and ideas that are pressed upon us by our culture that we don't even realize how much they affect us. And one of those is the materialism of this culture. When I say materialism, you may think about riches or people trying to get rich. I would take materialism a little different way. You see, atheistic evolution has taught us that we are random pieces of matter that happened by accident, and therefore our entire lives are without purpose, without meaning, and we're simply a chunk of matter, a piece of material that exists randomly by accident. Um, it's funny to me, atheistic evolution, I, I, I always get a kick out of atheists because atheists always have to fight against a God they don't believe exists. If he doesn't exist, then why fight against him? Why not ignore him? Anyway, that's a different sermon for a different day. But, but atheistic evolution says that the world just basically began from this chunk of matter that exploded in the Big Bang, and therefore all of the known and unknown universe exists simply as pieces of matter, and that's what's called materialism, just a material being, just matter being. So um, I actually found these quotes from an atheistic website, and... Um, I'm just going to read their words, all right? Just to, to help you understand, the, the, if you will, like the fish, the water we swim in. It says this, Humanity is nothing more than a microscopic blip in the universe. Humanity occupies a very small place in an unfathomably vast universe. So traveling at the speed of light, 671 million miles an hour, that's amazing to me, speed of light, 671 million miles per hour, it would take us 100,000 years to simply cross our galaxy, the Milky Way. But we still wouldn't have gone very far. By recent estimates, the Milky Way is just one of two trillion galaxies in the observable universe. Two trillion and the region of space that they occupy spans at least 90 billion light years. So traveling at 671 million miles an hour, that's pretty fast for my little truck to drive, 671 million miles an hour, it would take you 90 billion years to simply cross the amount of space that we can observe in the universe. And if you imagine Earth shrunk down to the size of a single grain of sand, and you imagine the size of that grain of sand relative to the entirety of the Sahara Desert, you are still nowhere near comprehending how infinitesimately, how incredibly <laughs> small a position we occupy in space. Now, the American astronomer Carl Sagan, who is a renowned atheist and uh, quoted a lot, especially by Hitchens and some other people like that. He said, he put the point vividly when he showed this picture. He said this, 1994, when discussing the famous pale blue dot. So this picture was literally taken from Voyager 1, looking back at Earth as it traveled out toward Mars and other parts of space. And this blue dot, Sagan said, 
Uh, our planet is nothing more than a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. So what you don't know about atheism is atheism, if you believe in the materialistic, atheistic point of view, which is what all of our kids are being taught at school. This atheistic, there is no God, and therefore matter simply is all that we have in this universe because this observable universe is only matter. There is no other dimensions beyond it, like spirit dimension, because it's just matter. And that is, that is the core of what atheistic theology, uh, theology and, and uh, atheistic evolution teaches. It, then you're just this. You're, according to atheists themselves, you're just a piece of chunk of matter and that you have no purpose or meaning and that being a person, a chunk of matter with no purpose or meaning, actually they say that we're predestined by the matter in us to the point of our time of our birth and our death and all of the circumstances, so much so that you have no choice, you have no meaning, you have no purpose, and your existence is just a futile, and anything that you attach to you being uh, uh, alive and having a reason for being is simply a delusion of your own matter trying to tell you to preserve yourself. That's very hope-filled, isn't it? No wonder depression and anxiety are at record highs in our culture. Because the water we swim in says you're useless and you don't matter. Now, this is not a, and, and that's just reading Hitchens and Sagan and some of these other new atheists. That's what they're telling us. And that's what you're being fed every day by the way we approach our life. Now, so let me just back up and ask a question. This isn't a message about, about creation. Uh, this is not, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm just going to simply say, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you can explain to me, I, I will give you the Big Bang. I will give you the Big Bang. It happened. All right, I, I'm not even going to argue. Uh, the evolution happened. There was a Big Bang. Let me ask you a question. Where did the first atom that exploded come from? If you cannot explain the origins of matter, then you are a person of faith in an unseen creator. And you believe in an uncreated creator, which means that you believe in God. Sorry, you atheists. You actually believe in God, whether you want to or not. That's probably the reason you fight against him so much, like the kid fighting against their parent that they don't want to admit is right. Now, why, why do I say this? I say this because... I want to lay a foundation that God made you. Can I lay down a foundation that you are intentionally made and designed by God? If we're going to say an uncreated creator exists, then why not just go ahead and jump in and say that God made us? And if God made us then, then maybe, just maybe, there's some things to learn from what the scriptures have to say about God making us. Because if you're made by God, you matter more than simple matter. You know, these are why we have the debates about when a baby gets life. Matter in the womb, that kind of stuff. And I just want to tell you that, that God, everything that's made in this world, all life is made in the image of God. And it all matters, whether it's a baby in a womb or a boy at the border, it matters to God because all life 
is made in the image of God. So, first, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind, Adam, the, the Greek word there is Adam, ad, or the Hebrew word is Adam, Adam, let us make mankind our Adam in our image, because Adam literally means all of humanity or the father of humanity. Let us make Adam in our image, or mankind in our image, in our likeness. So what do we know about Adam's creation? Adam is made in whose image? God's image. He is made in God's image. Now, he reveals a couple of things about the image of God. Male and female, he created them. So, humanity is made. Hold on. It does not say, let me make man, because God is not a me. God is a triune being. The Elohim, he is, he is plural in his being. We know he is revealed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as the Trinity. He is triune in his being. So if humanity is made in the image of God, we are probably triune as well, which is what we're going to talk about today. So we're made in the image of God, and if we're made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. Now, here's another, uh, this is a, a website I found. It's the National Human Genome Research Institute. Now, this is not a Christian organization. This is the National Human Genome Research Institute talking about where we all came from. And I want you to read some of the things that they say quite clearly, scientists say, because science and truth and God and science and God and truth, none of them are opposite of each other. When you find truth, you find God no matter where you find it. So it says the Y chromosome contains a male determining gene. This is interesting to me because I have a, um, I have a granddaughter. She's going to be coming real soon. Got a grandbaby coming in a couple of weeks. I'm so excited. I say hello, baby. <laughs> Little grandbaby over there. Yeah, grandpa's talking to you. Actually, I'm not going to be grandpa or papa. You know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be called a wise one. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, so it's, th this is what they did. They did a test on her like several months ago. The baby's like six weeks old, and they did a test and told us it was going to be a girl. How did they know that? Because the baby didn't have any Y chromosome. We can't figure this out outside the womb, but they can figure it out while the baby's still in the womb and nothing but a little bitty, bitty piece. You can tell me whether it's a boy or a girl, but we can't figure that out outside the womb. Because maybe, just maybe, just maybe, maybe. It doesn't have anything to do with facts. It has to do with the fact that our souls are being destroyed by the culture we're swimming in, which I'll talk to you about in a second, all right? So in genealogy, the male lineage is often traced using the Y chromosome because it's only passed down from the father. So the only way you can get a Y chromosome is from a male. Man, I, so many things I could say, but I won't. Uh, and then last, all individuals carrying a Y chromosome are related through a single XY ancestor a man who likely lived, I like the likely, likely lived 300,000 years ago. What's amazing to me, forget the dates and the times and all that kind of stuff. Do you know what they're saying? Do you know what they're saying? They're saying that everybody came from Adam. That's literally what they're saying right here in front of us. And this is science saying this. This is not a Christian website, everyone. Oh, by the way, Paul said this 2,000 years ago. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, so it is written, the first Adam became a life 
or became a living being. The first Adam became a living being, a nefesh. That means he had a spirit in him. And the last Adam, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So the first Adam became a living being. He had the spirit of God in him, and it died, and we'll talk about that. But the last Adam, who's the last Adam? Come on, there's never going to be another Adam. There doesn't need to be a new creator because we have the ultimate creator in Jesus Christ. The last Adam, does a, he does something really amazing. He just doesn't pass along a Y chromosome. He passes along life. Come on, this is good stuff. Somebody ought to shout amen right there. All right. So our modern propaganda machine, you know we do live in a modern propaganda machine, don't you? I got in trouble with my wife because I read this article in a magazine. And uh, it wasn't a magazine, a newspaper, newspaper clipping, read this article. And I wrote a letter to the editor. And the reason I wrote a letter to the editor is because right there, right there, bald-faced, 100% lie is not true. So I wrote a letter to the editor saying, this is a lie. And here's why it's a lie. So how can I believe the rest of what you tell me if you start with a lie here? Are y'all following me? Now I got in trouble because my wife said, don't pick those fights. You notice I don't go public with my, my policies about politics and I don't talk about politics that much, right? You know why? Because it's not my job. My job is to get you to Jesus, and then Jesus will take care of your politics. I'm not, I'm not too worried about your politics. You know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about you connecting with the resurrected king of the entire universe. So she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm stupid. So I called, and I said, don't publish my editorial, uh, my response to the editor. And the lady said, why not? And I said, because it's not my job to debate politics. And then she wanted to talk to me about the content of what I said. And I said, all right, this fact, is this true? She said, yes. This fact, is this true? Yes. Is this fact true? Yes. Is this fact true? Yes. Then why did you publish this narrative? And she says, I see your point. I said, I can't believe any of the rest of the narrative you tell me if I know you will lie to me here. Guys, we live in a culture that the narrative is more important than the facts. And you swim in that every day. And you're affected by it every day that the narrative is more important than the truth. The lady could not deny that I told the truth, yet she published a lie. Because it fit her narrative. We live in a narrative machine. And this culture is a narrative machine. And they're trying to get you to think certain things to spread misinformation about what we're made of and what we're made for. But God tells us that he made us in his image for a purpose. And you have a reason for existing. And you have a purpose for your life. And what you're accomplishing with your life is supposed to be what God made you for, not what the narrative of this culture says about you. You can say amen to that. So God made you to be more than a clump of sails seeking pleasure. You are not a materialist. That your ultimate good is just to have a little bit of pleasure. God made you for more than that. God made you to represent 
his image to the world. Now, all of that is my introduction to get us to the point where we're ready to read our verse today. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? We're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. <clears throat> May your whole, can you say these next four words with me? Spirit, soul, and body. So we're going to do it again. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. Hallelujah. Come on, right now. There are people right now accepting this. God wants all of you, your whole spirit, soul, and body, to be kept blameless at the coming. When Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to come back for somebody that's blameless. May God keep your whole soul, our spirit, soul, and body blameless until he comes back for you. Jesus, I pray that today you would add your blessing to your word and our hearts would be open, we would hear in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I know I'm a little intense today. I've been, I've been a little intense. Don't sit down yet. Don't, 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 don't. I know I'm a little intense. I, I haven't preached in two weeks, and I've been sitting, putting all this in my spirit, and I'm a little intense. So turn at somebody and tell them it's all right. He's just, he's going to calm down. Just tell them. Just tell them. It's all right. Go ahead. Look at him. Give him a big smile. That smile there. It's all right. He's going to calm down. All right, you may be seated. That's, that's good. It's nice to hear you laugh. That's good. That's good. We want to laugh. We want to have some fun. And I know, I know this is a little heady, and I know it's a, but you have to understand, this is what I think about at 7 o'clock in the morning when I'm reading the Bible, all right? Y'all ready? Here we go. God made you a triune being, spirit, soul, and body. He made you a triune being because he is a triune being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And you are to be an image of Him. He made you in His image so that you would reflect His character and nature to the world. Now, God made you a triune being in the image of His triune being. So we're going to look at the three different parts of our triune being and how they relate to the Father a little bit. All right, first of all, uh, God is spirit, spirit. So God's triune nature is revealed in our triune nature. And I'm just going to randomly assign them that, you know, our spirit's going to correspond to the Holy Spirit, which is what they call the third person of the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit, our spirit. We both have spirit. And we know that God by his very nature is spirit, John 4, 24. God is what? Spirit. So God is not matter. His very nature is that he isn't matter. He is in his, and this is, this is what we found out over time, is that an uncreated creator would have to not be matter to create matter. That's, I realize that's really deep. But an uncreated creator could not be matter if he were going to create a world of matter because then he would have to create himself. But it, do you realize that 2,000 years ago, the theology of God, the only theology that works, knowing what we know through modern science, is stated clearly in the Scripture that God is what? Spirit. He is outside the dimensions of matter. <sighs> so good. The ancient mind couldn't understand, though, what spirit was, what, what it means to not be 
matter. They couldn't understand. Now, we understand wind has oxygen cells and nitrogen cells and helium cells and hydrogen and all those. We understand that all of those are floating around in the air around us, and we have a greater understanding of what wind is. But remember to the ancient mind, if we could, could we go back and understand this, this um, analogy that they use? The ancient mind understood that you cannot see or touch or grab wind, right? can't grab it. And because you can't see or touch or feel it, the word they use to describe spirit is pneuma. Pneuma. Pneuma means simply the breath you can't contain, you can't hold. So when they're describing God, they're describing him as, as something that is above and beyond a dimension that we can grasp or hold or cling to. That's why in John chapter 3 verse 7 it says, you should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. We'll talk about why you need to be born again in just a second. But when you sin, your spirit's dead. And when your spirit's dead, the only way you can have eternal life is if you are born again with a live spirit. Why Jesus is the life-giving spirit. Come on, are y'all, are y'all connecting some dots here? All right, so, and then he says, you hear uh, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's this, this non-dimensional dimension to the Spirit that is within us. It is outside of matter. It is outside of time and space. It's outside. And, and that Spirit is eternal. It's created by God to be eternal, made to be eternal until it's killed by sin, and then it is resurrected by Jesus. That's why you cannot... You cannot have eternal life unless you believe in Jesus Christ and are born again. No church can give it to you. Only Jesus. The last Adam, the life-giving spirit can give it to you. All right, so, so what happens is sin kills our spirit, but God resurrects our spirit through faith in Jesus. So sin brings death to our spirit. Adam and Eve died when they sinned. And, and Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins. So there, Adam and Eve, God said, In the moment you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And what happened is they continued to live in their bodies, but what happened was their spirit died because of sin. Because they were sin, like us, you are dead in your transgresses and sin. Yet we know a lot of people who are walking around with active minds, feelings, thoughts, emotions, and bodies, but yet they're dead. Why are they dead? Because it kills their spirit. Now, the death of your spirit has an effect on the rest of you. When Adam and Eve, when their spirit died, you know the moment their spirit died, what did they do? The immediate death of their spirit meant an action in their body. Because we are not meant to be bifurcated. You're not meant to be spirit over here, body over here, soul over there. The three are meant to be whole, completely united. And when Adam and Eve sinned and their spirit died, they immediately reacted physically and emotionally in their soul with shame. Are are y'all grabbing this? This is not shallow stuff. Sorry, these are pool thoughts. He said, don't let him go back there. <laughs> All right, so the grace of God, what does it do? It resurrects our spirit and gives us eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy 
made us alive with Christ, even while we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and you now have received that indwelling Holy Spirit in you that gives you life. So second of all, our soul. So God's triune nature is revealed in three persons, and the soul represents, I'm going to say it represents God the Father, because, you know, there's body, soul, and spirit, and then there's uh, Father, Son, Spirit, and, and the soul is that cognitive, that thinking part, that emotional will part of you, that will part of you, that emotion of you, probably is more rooted in your brain functions. Uh, in your body, your brain functions. That's your soulish person. Your spirit is outside of that. But in Mark chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus said this. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So what's going on here is Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was about to pay the penalty for humanity's sin for all time, Jesus himself said his soul, knowing his body was about to die, said his soul was troubled almost to the point of death. But you know, Jesus never said his spirit died. Jesus never sinned. Therefore, his spirit lived on. That's why, that's why on the third day, and he's laying in a tomb, God says, we can't keep doing this. You know, your spirit's alive. You need something to exist in. <laughs> Hold on to quote Paul. These bodies, which are so incorruptible, will be raised incorruptible. So God gave... A resurrected spirit needs a resurrected body. That's why Jesus was able to walk through walls and not limited. Anyway, there's way too much to handle in a sermon on Sunday morning. All right. So Jesus was troubled in his soul, even to the point of death, while his spirit was still alive and joyous and flowing in the presence of God. And his body was about to die. His soul was going to die. But his spirit was alive. Now, now, so let's talk about that. John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. You should not be surprised. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong verse. Uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? We know people that have done this, right? What will you give in exchange for your soul? You know, they have all the money in the world, but yet they have no peace. Does anybody know that? that you know, I, I remember one time me and my wife, we were sitting in one of the most beautiful locations in the world, and it was supposed to be super romantic. We we're watching the sunset, and you know, and we're just there. It's supposed to be this romantic, perfect place. I mean, everything the body could want was right there. It was amazing. And, and she was on the phone having a conversation with someone, and both of us were weeping, and our souls had no rest, even though our bodies should have been in a perfect place. Does anybody know that? Maybe they pursued too much money and they don't have a marriage and can't talk to their kids anymore. Because your soul, your soul, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Some of us, we're materialistic. We think if I can just have another sexual buzz or I can make more money or I can have this moment of pleasure, I'm going to be happy. No, that will never satisfy a soul. Fulfilling your body will not satisfy your soul. Being united, one body, one soul, one spirit, united and blameless before God will give life to your soul. So what we should do, though, is Matthew 8, 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do, but, but you should be afraid of the one. And who's the only one that can kill the soul? The one. And the Greek makes it very clear that it's not one, it's the one, God, who can destroy both body 
and soul and hell. You know, God, if your spirit's already dead and you don't receive eternal life, God can destroy body and soul and hell. There's a lot of theology here. This helped me answer some of my questions I had about uh, can God be love and, you know, the medieval view of an eternal burning hellfire where people are punished for eternity. And Anyway, one more verse. It's in Thessalonians, so I have to read it, all right? Second Thessalonians, it won't be on the screen. Second Thessalonians 1.9, they will be punished with an everlasting destruction. Annihilation, if you will. God is able to make you cease. So he offers you. He doesn't want that. He offers you eternal what? Life. All right. So Americans have a problem. We have a problem with soul care. We don't take care of our souls very well. Do you know that? You just don't do it. Um, we mindlessly consume music, media, social media, movies, etc. Come, come on. When was the last time you thought about what the music you're listening to was saying to you? All of a sudden, you got a desire for a cold beer because there's cold beer calling my name. All of a sudden, you want sex because, well, I'm not going to sing that. <laughs> or what you're watching on TV or what you're listening to. You know, part of the reason we have so much confusion, our souls are in such disarray, because we give no thought to what we're feeding our souls. Do you know why there's so much anxiety and depression in this culture? Do you know why there is? Imagine this. Anxiety and depression levels are like triple what they were a mere 50 years ago. Do you know why? Do you know why? Do you know why? Because of what you feed yourself every day. You're feeding yourself. I, I was talking to a guy this morning. He's like, man, I'm just so upset all the time. And I said, why don't you do a fast for a week? Why don't for one week, one week, you do not watch the news, you do not open social media, you open your Bible and you read your Bible every day, and instead of listening to that music you listen to, why don't you put on some worship music to glorify Jesus? I'm not asking you to do it every day. Why don't you try it for a week? Try for a week and see if focusing on God actually gives a little more hope to your soul instead of all the garbage you're feeding yourself from our culture. Why don't you turn off the TV? You know, we were recording a show. We thought it was going to be good. I told her, we're not recording this show anymore. I'm not feeding my soul with that garbage. What are you feeding? No wonder you have racists. Listen to, you, you, you have troubles with racism. Listen to the music you listen to. Sorry. He's preaching way too practical now. Do I have to listen? All right, so all right, here's the deal. How do you take care of your soul? Two practical steps. Number one, abstain from sinful desires. First Peter chapter 2, 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which do this, they wage war against your soul. So every time you cause your body to sin, you are destroying the peace of your soul. And then the second thing is, start consuming something of value. Listen to this, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God 
is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit. It helps you understand what's from God, what's from your desires, what's from your body. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit are against the two, and they don't know how what they're going to do. I'm quoting Galatians chapter 5. You know what makes a decision between your spirit and your body? You know what makes a difference? Your soul. And the Bible helps you determine what is of your soulish nature and what is of the Spirit of God. But yet a lot of us, come on, come on, can I be really honest? I am concerned about the sheer biblical illiteracy that we have in churches these days. You claim that Jesus is your Lord, but yet you have never fully read the works and words of Jesus for yourself. Come on, he was the most influential man who ever walked the face of the earth. Jesus was, right? I mean, even split time, A.D. and B.C., right? Yeah, and most quoted, most hospitals are named after him. Come on, right? Most powerful man ever walked the face of the earth. Yet some of you claim him as your Lord, but you've never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for yourself. Why don't you do yourself a favor, all right? Why don't you let the Word of God begin to divide soul spirit so that you can begin making some joyous decisions so that we can deal with some of this anxiety and depression in our culture because we begin focusing on the right stuff. If your marriage is a mess, then why don't you go back and start reading the Word instead of watching The Bachelor? Because that filth will fill your brain full of crap that will lead you away from a healthy relationship with any human being, not even a spouse. What happens in our culture is we live by narratives. So the narratives we listen to are lying to us all the time. They're lying, narrative, 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 narrative. And what the Scripture is designed to do by God is to help you sort through the narratives and so you can learn the rest of the story and come to truth. Anybody ever watch something or read something and your, your detector goes off, beep, right, right? What it is, most of us, we don't learn how to pay attention to that, so we mindlessly consume stuff, so we become calloused to it, and therefore the music we're listening to and the, the, the talk radio you're hearing, the news stations you're listening to, they're filling your mind with narratives that are leading you away from God. And they don't come back 90% of the time to tell you the truth. But I found one. This is a perfect example. I'm going to show you a video, which is a perfect example of narrative when finally somebody gets around to telling the truth. And we get a lot of narratives, especially about COVID. We got a lot of narratives about vaccines and governments, and January 6th. I can't say some of the others. We got a lot of narratives. Maybe there's some truth that we need to get into the Word of God and let Him start dividing soul from spirit. Like, this is an example of narrative when revealed the truth. 
and make it a souvenir. Make it a, make it a souvenir for somebody. How nice! A coach tosses a baseball to a little fan. Uh oh! It wasn't supposed to go down like that. Here it is again. The ball was clearly meant for the kid, but the dude behind him snaps it up, and he sure seems very pleased with himself. The little boy at Wrigley Field in Chicago looks dejected. Reaction all over the airways has been swift and pretty harsh. That was worse than advertised. Have a tough day at work today, that guy. Don't be that guy. If you even get a ball from a coach, look around for a kid first. But are people rushing to judgment? When I saw the video, I can certainly understand how anybody would have come to that conclusion, but it's just not what happened uh, at the game yesterday. Chuck Mykoff was seated next to the man and ago. saw him give the little boy a ball well, in the, the previous inning. He gave that ball to the little boy, he gave another one away, and, and literally he got a third one later in the game and he gave that one to another kid. So he did all the right things. One is the one he got in the early part of the game that this guy helped him get, and the other one is the hobby Baez ball that the Cubs gave him when they thought something had gone wrong. The problem is, is that we never hear the rest of the story. You need God's Word to speak to you, to your soul, to divide it. And then last of all, our body. So God's trying nature is revealed in three persons the body represents in our discussion today the body that was represented in Jesus the Son. So God made your body in his image. And uh, this is quoted about Jesus, it's in Hebrews, but it's also quoted from the Old Testament, and there's a greater truth here, and this is the truth that applies to you, it is this. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body God has made for me. All of you were given a body by God. You may dislike or disdain your body, but God does not. You may dislike or disdain your body, but God does not. He made you in his image. See, part of the problem is we buy the narratives of this culture about our bodies instead of allowing God's truth to give us our image. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, you know, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If you're a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God is alive in you and your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you represent his image everywhere you go. You represent his image everywhere you go. See, what happens is that a lot of us, we despise our bodies so much in our suke, in our soul. We despise our bodies so much that we actually allow our body to mistreat and to be mistreated because of guilt or shame or false narratives. How about this one? This is a great book. You should read this book. It's called For the Body. I was reading this and uh, the story is that there was a, uh, Carl's Jr. paid $4.5 million for, $4.5 million for a 30-second commercial showing Kate Upton using her body to sell hamburgers and french fries. And what happens in our culture is this, ladies, especially you, you have a body narrative that if you don't look like Kate Upton, you're not worth anything. 
And that is a lie from the pit of hell because God designed your body to give him glory. I don't care what your body is. And part of the problems with diets in our culture is this. We're starving our bodies to make them into an image that God never designed for us, but we don't change our soul. And actually the diet is made out of hatred for our bodies rather than health for our bodies. And that's why the first three words of diet is die, and you should never go on another one. <laughs> Let God. See, even as I speak this, there are people in this room, you're being condemned right now, and I am not condemning you. I'm telling you, you are precious in God's sight just the way you are. Let God speak to your soul and your psyche and then let it determine your body's behavior. That's what happens with gender dysphoria. Come on, if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, I love you. I'm sorry that you're struggling. I'm sorry that you have these struggles and issues, but that is not your body's fault. It's your soul being polluted by this world. And the answer is not to mess your body up. The answer is to let God restore your soul. Come on, how many times have I seen a guy all of a sudden get serious about prayer, about reading the Bible, about, about saying, I am going to be fully committed to God, and then he, his spirit becomes renewed, he starts changing his thinking, and then he starts acting towards his wife and his family and his world differently, and I watch a mess turn into health and life because it starts with your spirit speaking to your soul and your soul giving direction to your body, and what a lot of us are doing is we're believing the lies of this culture, and we're allowing lies to feed our soul, and it's killing our spirits and destroying our bodies. I got to read the last scripture, and then I want to give you an illustration. Will you all give me a couple extra minutes? Please. All right. Have relation, represent God with his image, but have relationships with God and others that are healthy. Why is what I do with my body, why does it matter? For example, sexually, why does it matter? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it is God's will. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Here it is. It is God's will that you would avoid sexual immorality, that each of you would learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. How are we supposed to control our bodies? In a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And then he says why here, okay? Let me light my candle up here. There we go. He says why? He said, um, and that in this matter, how you sexually use your bodies, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. What? You mean your body isn't just about you? Your body is about the temple of the Holy Spirit and ministering to other people with your bodies? And when you live in sexual immorality, you are actually using your body to damage other people. Are you all following me here? So what I've talked to you about today is body, soul, and spirit. Now, I, do you all know what it takes to make fire? It takes three things. It takes physical matter something to burn. It takes heat, heat, and it also takes oxygen to burn. So what are, 
this is an example of you and your spirit, your, your soul. This is you and your, your soul. And the spirit is the air you live in, the Holy Spirit. And what happens if I take this thing right here and sin, this is going to represent sin, and it's going to do what? It's going to limit, and eventually you're going to use up all of the spirit you got. What's going to happen when the air, when the pneuma, the air gets consumed out of this glass jar? What's going to happen to your body and specifically your soul? What's going to, your body will still be there, but what's going to happen to your soul? Flame's going to go lower and lower and lower, and eventually it's going to go out. You and I are living in a culture that is doing this to us. It's doing this to us. And I want to invite you today for just a couple of moments. I want to invite you. See how it's fogging up and it's flames starting to go down? That's how some of you feel on the inside. You've used your body in wrong ways. You've distanced yourself from the life-giving spirit of Jesus Christ. You don't consume the word. You don't pray. And you wonder why you live in a world that it's sucking all the life out of you. So we're going to celebrate communion. When we celebrate communion today, the body of Jesus Christ was broken so that your sin would be removed. And when your sin is removed and the life of Jesus comes back to you, oh man, it went out. Thankfully, we know a resurrected Jesus who is the last Adam, the life-giving spirit, and you can come back to life. So I'd like you to bow your heads with me. I want to ask you a question right now. If you're in this room today or you're watching online and you've allowed sin to snuff out the life of the Holy Spirit and you need that life-giving spirit of Jesus to come alive in your soul today, you, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what I'm saying right now. You're dead. And you need Jesus to come breathe his life into you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Yes. Are there others? Yes. There are others? Come on, it's your day. If you're online, I want you to believe. Just text believe to the number. They're going to put it up on the screen. Yes. You can put those hands down. We're going to say a prayer right now. This is our prayer. Y'all ready? Everybody pray it together. Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Nobody. God's doing a work right now. I see it. God's doing a work. You ready? Dear Jesus, I give you my life. Would you give me your life? Give me your spirit and make me alive. I reject my sin and I receive you. Make me born again. Thank you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, guess what just happened? You are, you are born again. The fire is burning now. Fire's burning. They're going to pass out communion elements, and we're going to sing this song. I'd invite you to stand in just a second if you need.